Welcome to iPad Pros, the show all about using your iPad to be productive and get work done. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. It's a great way with dealing with the customer to be able to show them on an iPad, here's screen one, here's screen two, here's screen three, and be able to get that feedback and pull out the pencil and move things and drag things around in real time, and then be able to walk away from the meeting and your work is done and you can hand that bit off then back to the uh, developer. Welcome back to another episode of iPad Pros. On this episode is an interview I did with Mike Henley of the Drawing Inspiration podcast. We chat about drawing on the iPad in depth. We also dive into app design, podcast editing, video editing, and novel writing. So a lot of different topics that we cover in this episode. As a reminder, one of the best ways to support this podcast is heading over to Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. Every review is extraordinarily helpful in sending the right signals to Apple to promote this show more in search, helping others discover the show. You can also support the Patreon over at patreon.com slash iPadPros, where you can get access to the episodes early. Once they're finished editing, you get them, basically. The other benefits, you are able to get access to other content. My old iPad Possibilities podcast as a re-release with some extra bonus introductions where I kind of listen to the episode again and give some feedback as how it relates today, 10 years later. And then also on the higher tiers, iPad Historia, where I'm going through the history of the iPad and kind of looking back at where the iPad came from and giving some context in today's time. That's over at patreon.com slash iPadPros. And thanks to everyone that does support me there or has in the past. Your support is greatly appreciated and really helping me to be able to finally upgrade to this fourth generation iPad Pro. So I'll finally be on a Face ID iPad thanks to the supporters over there at patreon.com. And it really means a lot. So thank you so much. A little note about Mike before we dive into this interview. He does work in healthcare, as we mentioned in this interview. But this interview was conducted before this global pandemic broke out. So we didn't discuss that at all because it wasn't happening yet. I hope everyone is staying safe and staying at home to make sure everyone in your community can be safe and be healthy as you hopefully are. And with that, here's my interview with Mike. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Thanks, Tim. It's great to be here. I've been uh, listening to your podcast for some time, so I'm uh, so happy to be a guest. That's fantastic. Absolutely. And thanks for listening. So first off, can you introduce yourself and kind of your background of how you use the iPad? I use the iPad in a few ways. My day job is in web and application development around health research. So I work at a hospital and I have a small team of developers. In my spare time, I'm an artist. And so I work with uh, pencil, like traditional uh, graphite pencils, as well as digital and paint. I also host a podcast called Drawing Inspiration, where I talk about kind of my creative journey in addition to interviewing other creatives. And so I actually use my iPad for all of that. I've been doing so for probably, I'm going to say, three years now aggressively. And uh, it's been fantastic. It really has changed the way I do many things, especially art. Excellent. And three years ago, did you start out with the uh, second generation iPad? Is Would that be the time frame I'm looking at? So I, start, I had an iPad Pad 2 maybe. Yeah. And... Then I got the iPad Air, and I the iPad 2 is more, and let's explore this technology, didn't really do any, uh, didn't really use it a whole lot. The iPad Air 2, I started using it more for work. That one I actually had through my, uh, the place I worked during the day, I received uh, the iPad Air 2. So I did use that in some capacity, but it wasn't, I didn't use it a whole lot. It wasn't until the 10.5 Pro came out that I really felt compelled to start integrating the iPad into everything I do. I had tried kind of previous styluses on the iPads, you know, with the rubber tips. Yeah. I didn't try any of the Bluetooth models, but I did try them with the rubber tips just to play around with it. And it just never worked for me. It felt a little bit, (laughs) it just, I wasn't achieving anything that I couldn't do with pencil. And for me, having done so much work with graphite pencil, I needed that detail and I couldn't achieve it with that. And then when this 10.5 came out with the first Apple Pencil, it changed everything for me. And so that kind of was my foray into using the iPad for art, uh, in addition to, you know, the, the other kind of corporate business uses I had for it. And is that the iPad you're currently using today? Or did you get the Face ID one that came out a couple years ago? Yeah, so I did get the, uh, 2018 12.9 Pro. And I was actually waffling because I was coming from a 10.5 and I was thinking, should I go 11 or 12.9? 
And having seen the original 12.9 iPad Pro, I was thinking that's too big. But then I saw it in the store before I got in. It was like, no, the 12.9. I need that extra screen real estate. So I've had this one for, I guess, a year and a half now. I I don't think I would change anything on it. It's been uh, fantastic for me. Very cool. And the new pencil with that, was that something that's been a big upgrade in how you've been using it? Is that double tap feature something you end up using as well? The big thing is the charging. (laughs) I mean, with the original 10.5 and having to plug into the lightning port and having it sticking out the side was was a bit silly. And I wouldn't think to charge it. And so I would get into a situation where I wanted to use my pencil and it was dead. So I'd have to plug it in and do something else on my iPad. The fact that this sits on top and is always charged is great. The feeling in my hand holding that with the matte finish And that one flattened edge has been great. I do use the double tap, but I find that initially I was, I was, it was problematic because I'm, when I draw, I tend to rotate my pencil a lot. And so in Procreate, which is what the app I use to draw most of the time, the uh, double tap turns the eraser mode on. So it goes from pencil or, or brush to eraser. And so it's very convenient, yeah. but not when you're drawing and it does it kind of mid-stroke as you're rotating <laughs> a pencil. And so luckily you can tap with two fingers to undo and it's fine, but I feel like it's gotten better. I, I'm not sure if it's me that the machine has taught me or I've learned how to uh, you know, work with the iPad and the, uh, the pencil better, or if there's something that has changed in iOS 13 or in Procreate 5, but I'm not doing it as often. I'm not accidentally tapping, uh, double tapping on that. So I, I feel like that's a great feature. I don't know. It, for me, I, I've just become accustomed to it. And that's, I think, the only app where I use it is when I'm drawing uh, in Procreate. Interesting. Yeah. So when did you get in the drawing? Is it something from your youth or is this a more recent development? In- so it's it's yes to both. <laughs> I, I remember drawing, and so I'm going to be 53 this year. So I remember drawing Tom and Jerry cartoons when I was uh, when I was a kid. Okay. Then I remember doing caricatures of uh, our prime ministers here in Canada, uh, Joe Clark and Pierre Trudeau for the Canadians listening. Um, I remember doing caricatures of them. Then I think the last time I remember drawing as a youth is I was on a yearbook committee and our team mascot or our school mascot was, this was probably grade, I'm going to say eight or nine. Our school mascot was a lion. I was on the yearbook committee and I had this, what I thought was a great idea that for each grade I would draw a lion, but it would be a different age because, you know, uh, grade sevens would be a younger kind of cub and so on and so forth. So I drew, I think, three lions because I think we only had three or four grades in the new school. I remember thinking, oh, this is such a great idea. And it just, I think that was the last thing I did. Um, as a matter of drawing, and I didn't come back to it until probably around 40. I had explored it a little bit before that when my first daughter was born. I was a work-from-home dad, so my interactions with her were just, you know, let's let's do this, let's play, let's have some fun, and let's draw. And I started drawing with her, and then I realized, you know what, I'm not so bad at this. <laughs> I don't remember whether I was good or not, but I was drawing dinosaurs for her. She got motivated. She started her first uh, first word was rhinoceros because that's what she had drawn, uh, which is odd for a, a child to have as, a, as her first word, but she loved to draw and I was part of that experience. So I started then and then I just slowly started doing a few more drawings. I drew a chickadee for my wife as a uh, gift. It wasn't until the last kind of three years, I would say, that I've started kind of ramping up my interest in, in drawing and, and uh, getting to the point calling myself an artist. Very cool. And using the iPad, what's that experience like over other digital experiences? I don't know if you've tried Surfaces or other Wacoms or ways of inputting into a computer. Is this radically different? I've had a couple of Wacoms because uh, I've done web design for probably 25 years. And so I've tried to use Wacoms to kind of interact with my computers over the years and never really caught on to it. This idea of drawing over here and looking over there, that experience just never worked for me. So these are old Wacoms that didn't have a screen, right? Yeah, it's a real disconnect, right? You're drawing here and looking elsewhere. It's not quite the same in that way. Right. And some artists are fantastic at it and I just admire their ability, but it just didn't work for me. So I, I tried the Wacoms I did try a surface. I went in and I had been drawing on my 10.5 at the time. So I was like, okay, this is, you know, this is a way for me to try it out. 
and I was like, I don't know, 15 minutes on it. It's like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I found the, the, the pen, I think I just wasn't accustomed to it. So I, I, I don't blame Microsoft for that because they're different sizes than, or a different size than the Apple Pencil. Yeah. But I found that it may have been a function more of the drawing app I was using, but I couldn't at the time touch with two fingers to undo. I had trouble finding where the brushes were. I didn't find I could vary the pressure like I could in an iPad. And it got to a point where it's just, this is unusable for me at this point. I would like to get, a I think, an opportunity to try a Surface again. I mean, I know a few people with the Surface Pro you know the the uh, the mobile versions, the tablets, and I probably should try that again. But I, I don't know. I'm probably going to come up with the same conclusion. I think the app is really a big part of the experience, not just the the iPad itself and the pencil, but having such powerful apps uh, like Procreate and others is uh, is important. So that's the experience versus Surface for you. What about versus the actual real pencil, real paint, real materials versus the iPad? The thing that turned me on to the 10.5 was it. I remember going into the Apple store and looking at it and thinking, I don't know. And I tried it out and I drew a strawberry in the store. And I was thinking, wow, this is like using a pencil. Like I was able to angle it and do some shading. It just felt like a drawing experience for me. Even to this day, it's a big balance for me between drawing on paper because I draw, I draw every day. And so I draw on paper and I do it on the iPad. I do both. Sometimes I will spend a percentage of time higher on one side or the other, digital versus analog. But I find that I'm getting better at being an artist by using both. And so the the only frustration I have is if I'm spending some time on the iPad and I'm drawing and I'm drawing some creative pieces, I'm not doing work or planning or anything, but I'm actually drawing art. If I go to analog, so drawing with pencil on paper, if I make a mistake, the first thing I do is double tap on the on the paper <laughs> to try and undo my mistake. And I do that all the time. And I laugh at myself and I'm thinking, I know it's going to happen again, but I always do that. And it's so funny that I, all I need is about an hour, an hour and a half on the iPad. And I've learned that and I will bring it to the paper. And I'm always disappointed that I can't undo. Then I'm disappointed that I actually tried to undo that way to begin with. So, yeah. Yeah. It is so close. In my podcast, I've spoken to a storyboard artist who for years was using other devices and was doing it on paper. And uh, he does all his work now on the iPad. And so this is not just my experience. It's so many others that are using the iPad and the pencil and the apps because it is so close to working with pencil or pen or brush and paper. And you can obviously the workflow opportunities there are huge. It's a matter of being able to to put your ideas down, do it quickly, and then move them off if you need to, you know, to go off to somebody for review, whatever the case. But, yeah. So, I, you know, I tend to draw animals a lot, but I decided to explore some, uh, drawing some kind of anatomical shapes, uh, you know, people's arms and legs and bodies and that kind of stuff. And I did it on the iPad because I found it was easier for me to throw a bunch onto one canvas, uh, a race. And because I was just playing, I found it a much better experience than working on uh, paper. And so uh, I don't think you can find a better experience. Now, I haven't tried everything, but as a matter of trying to approximate what it's like to draw on paper, the iPad with the pencil is is great. And even the first generation pencil. So if we talk about the 10.2 iPad that's available now with the first generation pencil, I could still do awesome stuff with that. You don't need an iPad Pro. No, you don't. And it's amazing that all the iPads now support this. Yes. So you mentioned Procreate. What have been the apps that you found are the best? Is it Procreate or are there other apps that you are enjoying to use? What about Procreate stands out to you? Procreate I've used the most. I mean, I do love Linnea Sketch. Uh, Linnea Sketch is is much simpler. Um, so I think if I was recommending someone to start out, I would probably recommend they start out with Linnea Sketch because it does support layers, which is important, uh, but it does simplify things for you. So personally, I like Procreate because of the flexibility, the quality, especially the brush engine in Procreate 5, which came out uh, recently. I find the brushes have um, gotten so much better. I think the ability to import other brushes is great. I find the, and I just had spoke to somebody else recently about this, Procreate is great because everything just falls out of the way for you. Once you establish what you're going to do and you've, you've got your colors set or whatever the case it just gets out of the way and you can just draw. You don't have to think about the interface. You don't have to think about much of anything except changing the size of your brush and changing the opacity of the brush. 
And I love Procreate for that. I love that I can just dive in. I'll use Procreate even if I'm at work. I will pull up Procreate and say, let's talk about this idea, and I'll just draw it in Procreate. And it's not intended to be an art piece, but it's just a way for me to, you know, instead of using Apple Notes, this is what I do. And uh, for me, it's just because I've used it so much. But Procreate is great. It's, it's as complicated, I think, as you need it to be or as you want it to be. For example, it has animation as part of this uh, latest version, but I've never used it, so I don't see it. I don't dig for it. I don't need it. The workflow, once you complete your piece as a matter of exporting it uh, the fact that it re- it can record video of your whole session uh, and i say session i mean the whole drawing whether you work on it for a day or for a month it records everything so you can always play that back which is always kind of fun but beyond procreate linnea sketch those are the two i've used most for drawing i do use good notes so GoodNotes has a great support for uh, for the Apple Pencil as well. And so if it comes to uh, marking up PDFs or doing some planning around, I've done some planning around writing using GoodNotes. And the other is uh, Affinity Designer. And so I've used that in designing uh, some of the apps that we do at work and working on, uh, you know, show art and things like that. I'll, I'll use Affinity Designer. Interesting. So you mentioned importing brushes. What is this? Are you getting them from the web? People are creating their own brushes? Yeah, I've purchased quite a few kind of brush packs. It's it's like everything else. <laughs> you can <laughs> really get lost in thinking, wait a sec, uh, you know, the reason my art isn't really, really good today is because I have the wrong brush. Absolutely. That's <laughs> absolutely the problem. So then you go out and then you buy this brush pack and that one. And there are a couple of really good brush packs. With the Procreate 5, you can import Photoshop brushes. So if you've if you've historically been using Pro- Photoshop for drawing, you can bring those brushes in. For me, I've I've never used Photoshop for drawing with a, a stylus. Yeah, these are third party brushes, though. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and you can you can create your own. I've taken probably three or four brushes that I use regularly, and I've modified them for how I like to draw. And with the new brush engine in Procreate, you can change the width and how it delivers the brush. And and it's just, it's incredible. I mean, there are almost too many settings, but it is very powerful if you're trying to, uh, if, if you tend to push hard when you draw or light, or you like the stroke to continue further, uh, you can modify all of that. If you like that kind of calligraphy, wet ink uh, experience, you can have that in a brush as well. That's one of my favorite things to do because I grew up with fountain pens as my joy of passing the time in class. And <laughs> it's fun using Procreate to mimic that experience. Yeah, I think that, I mean, just on the fountain pen experience. So I've done uh, Inktober for two years, which is this idea that you draw something in ink every day for 30 days for the month yeah. of October. And in both years, so in 2019 and 2018, I did it all on the iPad. For me, I just wanted to avoid kind of bringing ink back and forth to work because I would do it at lunch. Mm-hmm. So I did everything just on the iPad with ink, ink brushes. And I do ink on paper as well. And it is so close that um, you can spend time on both and it all gets better. Yeah. You're missing your hands turning different colors with the uh, ink uh, dripping <laughs> as you're filling up the pens and stuff. <laughs> yeah, very, very true. And uh, the, the scratchy noise, but uh, I did add a, a screen protector to my iPad, so it's getting much closer to that feeling yeah. or that sound of a fountain pen on paper. So Yeah. The thing that I just love about fountain pens is you'll go to some old pen shops and there's like pens from the 1930s that are in pretty good shape still. And just the history there is just amazing. It is. And I've been, uh, I've been trying to find a fountain pen that has a bit more flex to it. Yeah, um, in the older pens, that's where you get them. And the newer ones, they made them more rigid. And I love a nice flexible nib, but those break, which is <laughs> why right. there's less and less of them. Yeah, and they're usually gold, so it's not cheap to replace. And as you say, they're you know from the 1930s or 40s, right? So. Yeah, and uh, the other way to do it is hire, I think, Richard or uh, some, some of the new people that are actually creating custom nibs for for pens. Right. Yeah. I actually had a uh, five-prong dipping nib that was designed for sheet music back in... Uh, so I used it in college okay. to make my own custom sheet music, and I would do fun things like making the staff be a complete circle and having circle within a circle for like abstract music kind of stuff. It was a lot of fun. Oh, that's awesome. I love ink. 
I've got, I think, uh, five or six pens, uh, fountain pens and brush pens now. None of them kind of traditional fountain pens. The, the one I use most is uh, has a food aid nib, so it's got a little 45-degree 40, angle at the end. So you can alter the angle of the pen, and it changes the, the line width. Yeah, um, I got one during college as well that was uh, designed for sheet music, uh, writing music as well. Uh, one of the directions was very thick for those beam lines, and the other direction was as thin as possible for the tiny stems and it was just really cool uh, writing music in that way yeah it feels uh, it feels good but uh, yeah that would be amazing if like there would be some kind of drawing app on the ipad that incorporated i guess you could probably do some procreate i don't know if you could do angles like it's very clear on a physical object when you're going one direction versus another with the Apple Pencil, it's kind of like that's the way it is, right? There are brushes where it's almost like a flex nib. So depending on the pressure you apply, the, the line width changes. And uh, that's what I'm trying to achieve on paper, but I can do it more easily using uh, Procreate. And yeah. The, uh, even the brushes that are built into Procreate, you don't need to go out and buy. And I would encourage anyone who's listening, don't go out and buy brush pens or don't go out and buy uh, brush sets until you have uh, explored everything that's part of Procreate. Because the latest version 5 has some fantastic brushes in it since they've done the update that's all i've been really using I, there is a watercolor pack that i bought but um, everything else is just what's built into the app and they've done a really good job packing it full of whatever you need how's the painting experience compare with real life i haven't done any oil paint i've done watercolor and gouache and mm-hmm. so i'll speak kind of in that realm if you're doing watercolor work there are some much better brush sets out there that are worth investing in uh, that kind of leverage the new brush engine such that you kind of get that bleed on the paper and also simulating that idea of like a cold press paper that has that kind of nice texture to it. So I think it's good. I've tried kind of gouache type. So gouache is kind of a, a watercolor that is opaque. So I've tried those uh, brush pans. I tend to do a lot of airbrush stuff. Uh, so that's all built into Procreate. And those brushes are pretty good. I haven't done a whole lot of watercolor work with Procreate because I just, I'm trying to get good at that on paper. And so I really haven't spent as much time doing it in Procreate because I find that the the experience is much different. It's not like drawing. It's, mm-hmm. It is a much different experience doing watercolor on a, an iPad versus doing it on paper. And I did try Adobe Fresco, which was an attempt at, or is an attempt, I shouldn't say was like it's gone. It is really, really good for watercolor. So that idea of getting that bleed, you've got the opportunity to to dry an area or a layer, which is kind of cool. But, and, and as I say, the bleed, everything is, is really awesome with Adobe Fresco. I just, it didn't work for me as an app at that point when I had tried yeah. it. There are some really interesting brushes that I guess you could say are paint brushes within Procreate, but I haven't used them a lot. As I say, I've done a lot of airbrush. So the first drawing I did was my eye and that was all just done with airbrush. You can really achieve a lot just by changing the airbrush and moving from a, a really a kind of opaque edge to a much more defined edge to get that kind of detail that you need. I probably should explore the watercolor a little bit more. I just haven't had a, uh, a, I guess, an interest in doing that until I get it sorted out in kind of real life. Yeah. Now, you mentioned a screen protector. Has that experience improved your experience having that extra friction to kind of mimic paper? Does that make it better of an experience not gliding so easily around the glass? Because it is, does not feel like paper, an iPad screen. <laughs> right. And even with the screen protector, it doesn't feel like paper. But I've tried, I think, three different kinds of screen protectors. And up until this one, I usually had them off the iPad within a day. Because for me, the, the issue was rainbows. And so it would be great and you know it wouldn't pick up fingerprints and then you would open open up procreate and you would have like a white canvas or a light gray canvas and you'd see all these rainbows and it's like i can't i bought this ipad for the beautiful screen and now it's (laughs) ruined it for me but the latest screen protector i have on it's not an issue for me anymore and there's a couple of advantages one is it i do like the feel a little bit better not enough to convert me but that's part of it is the feeling of kind of drawing on paper versus glass it feels a bit better. I was never against kind of drawing on glass with, with the original iPad or with a version of this without the screen protector. But the bigger thing it fixes for me is fingerprints. And so it basically removes that as a problem for me. Because uh, I always used to get frustrated because your screen would get so dirty because you're touching and zooming and tapping. And all of a sudden, you 
be full of fingerprints and you have to wipe it off. It was just, it never, it didn't work for me. This is so much easier to keep clean. So I used the paper like two, which is uh, a huge improvement over the original. And I've been really, really happy with that. Okay. And have you played around with trying to get prints of your work that you create in Procreate? And are you getting good results from the various times you've tried that? So I've done a couple of prints. So I tried one through an online service. I wasn't happy with the results. I'm going to try it again. Procreate 5 now supports CMYK as a color space or color profile. It, there's an opportunity to get more, I think, for printers to get much closer to what you're what you're building it as within mm-hmm. the application itself. But when I did get this printed, and this was, I'm going to say a year and a half ago, a year ago, maybe, I got it back and it was washed out. I just really wasn't happy with the results. Now, I, I have worked with a local printer here in Ottawa. And he's done a really great job in kind of working with me to figure out the paper and matching everything such that the printouts come out as I intended them when I drew them. Because the challenge really is a lot of the places are photography-based printouts, and what you're creating is not that. And it's almost like you need to find an art reproduction company. Yeah, I think you have to be really careful. Like if you're doing a piece and you intend to sell prints of it, I would for sure want to run a few samples through that and make sure that you're happy with it because it is harder to get right. Just sending it to an online shop that has some kind of automated process where all of a sudden you get your coffee mugs or your whatever. You may end up getting disappointed depending on how many colors, the variation. If it's if it's more like a vector drawing where you've got clear kind of segmentation of colors, it's probably less you know to worry about. But if you're using airbrushes and you want that subtlety, uh, you will have to work with somebody, I think, a bit more closely to get the reproduction to a point where you're happy with it and pure pencil does anyone reproduce that in a way that kind of feels like a fake pencil is is there like an ink that's like special to make that happen the printer i work with he's really good in the sense that i will bring my image to him he will scan it and he will keep that image and he'll do a number of printouts with his normal kind of printing system and because he's got the original he will do a printout and then match them and do it again and again. And once he gets the profile set and the, the brightness and the contrast organized for that, he saves that image and that's available to me in the future. And so because he's got the original, he can go back and forth with that. I think you can do the same with uh, an export from Procreate, but I don't think a lot of printers go through that effort where they have it up on the screen and their screen is properly calibrated uh, to the point of being like the iPad and they do the printouts and they look at them side by side. But, you know, once again, when you're doing something like pencil, it's choosing the right kind of paper as well. So if you take, like I did some test samples of, of digital prints and I was exporting them on different types of paper. And some of them were gloss. Some of them were like a, like a semi-gloss kind of finish. They really looked really fake. They didn't work for me. And it was almost like a, a hot press paper that was the most successful, which kind of pulled in the, the dye and did make it look like an art piece. Finding the right printer, finding the right paper, getting that workflow sorted out is important if you're going to hang this up in your house. For those that are new at drawing and want to get more into this, what would you recommend as the starting steps? Are there educational apps out there for iPad that kind of walk someone through learning how to draw or where would people start with this? I was trying to think about that and I'm not sure that I have any suggestions on the iPad beyond just trying something with like Linnea or Procreate. I've been to the Apple Store a couple of times doing demos of drawing on the iPad. In all cases, we use Procreate. What we did is, there's one of two solutions. One is that you import a photo of yours that you want to draw as a a new layer, and then you simply change the opacity of that layer down to something like 20%, and you draw on top of it on a new layer. And that's a really good experience to kind of understand the shapes. If you bring the opacity down, it helps you to kind of abstract away from the detail and focus kind of the larger shapes. If you're drawing a, a chickadee, for example, you can focus on the triangle of the beak and the round of the head and the oblong shape of the body. And you can start from there. And that gives you kind of some guidance around what you're doing. And it's okay to do that. It's not cheating. It's just a way for people to kind of get into it. The way I normally draw with Procreate is I use the split screen and I have Procreate as two thirds and my reference photo as one third. So I've always got it on the side and I zoom in and out to focus on the detail, but I have Procreate open on the other side on the right. And that's normally how I draw with Procreate. Did you sell your other iPad when you got this new one? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I was wondering if uh, that'd be a fun way to do it, have a reference iPad while you're drawing on the bigger one. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I could. I kind of, I did run into problems when I was projecting at the Apple Store. And it was odd because I had to put the Apple Photos app on the right-hand side. Because if I put it on the left, it would project it on the screen. I had oh, to switch it to the right-hand side. Or I couldn't do what I needed to do. It, we wouldn't project Procreate. So there was a weird thing. I don't know if it's still the case. This was last year. But uh, that was kind of a weird thing that was yeah. happening. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, you bring up a good point. If I'm drawing at lunch at work, for example, and I'm just using pencil, I use my iPhone and I just have my reference photos up there if I'm doing uh, that kind of work. And will you ever take your iPad outside to draw and do any landscapes in that way? I have done that. Just the nature of the screen, uh, the, like the screen protector does a better job of, I guess, dealing with the light a little bit. Yeah, you got to find an umbrella. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's got to be pretty dark. Got to make sure you find some shade. I've not kind of shied away from it. It's just more that I can't see the screen. The other bit too is that... You've got to be careful. I turn the auto brightness off because if you're in a situation, even if you're in a Starbucks and the sun's coming in and it hits the sensor, it'll ramp up the brightness of the screen and you may not notice it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the, the, the iPad gets really hot. Your battery life starts to die. Will you draw with True Tone on? Is that something that is helpful or is that a bad thing for what you do? I do have True Tone on. I've tried it with it off. For the work I do, it, it doesn't matter. I know some people are just are against using True Tone when they're using Procreate. For me, I'm fine with it. I'm not an artist, but it seems like the whole point of True Tone is trying to make sure your eyes are seeing what they should be seeing versus the color temperature of the room affecting what you're actually seeing. I, I don't know if that's right or not. Yeah, I think that, I mean, there's a lot behind color theory. I think True Tone has a bigger benefit for me than not having it on. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a feature that once I had it, I needed to upgrade both iPads because I wanted to be using two iPads and I couldn't have my Air 2 not match my bigger iPad Pro that had it. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how blue things can be sometimes if that happens to be off. I've had it off yeah. on my, my iPhone and uh, I've had it off on the iPad and it is amazing the difference. It's jarring. Yeah, just yeah. how much that can be Absolutely. an effect. Yeah. So you mentioned you do app design work in a healthcare setting. Is that right? That's right. So are these applications for mobile devices or what's the end product you're looking at? So yes, uh, sometimes it's websites. Recently, it's been progressive web apps or native mobile apps. I found that in laying some of that stuff out, using something like Affinity Designer and the kind of the multiple artboards is a really easy way to mock that up quickly. I used to use Sketch a lot on the Mac I still do, but I really enjoy using Affinity Designer because you can have many kind of storyboards or views of your app and be able to then export them easily and import them into another application to be able to lay them out and show the interactions. But uh, the, the fact that I can move things around easily and draw within Affinity Designer has been great. And so your workplace does allow you to use your personal iPad to do this kind of work? Yeah, we don't support iPads at this point in the sense that we would buy it as a device. For me, it's more efficient for me to use it. I could choose not to, but uh, in the nature of my work, I, I just find a benefit in having my own personal device and doing this kind of stuff. So with Designer, will you have templates for different apps that you're working on? Like you're doing a website, so you have this template that's a certain size. How does the design process work? Yeah, so you can uh, establish different artboards. What I tend to do is uh, I have one set up for websites and another one set up for apps. And so the artboards tend to have a certain size to them to define, you know, this is an iPhone 11 screen versus this is an iPad. And you can find various um, toolkits out there that would have the icons you need. It comes, I think, with a lot of the iOS I don't remember. I've been using it for so long. But if you want all the, those icons available to be able to, to show you that that's an app, you want to have the hamburger up on the top right or show this or that, those are all part of the application. So you don't have to rebuild any of that. You just drag and drop those pieces in. Okay. And the design work, you're conceptualizing what it's, the visual look's going to be. like. Correct. And then you're able to export various parts for the coder to implement that like what's the process like of getting your design into a final product that's functional right one of the recent projects is a progressive web app so it's a little bit different than working native so the whole point is drawing some kind of screens within the app to get a sense of the interaction model and they look like iphone screens so i don't want people to get the impression these look hand-drawn they look like finished iphone screens and it's just understanding with the data that you're trying to display how much can we fit in a screen do we how do we manage that interaction is it are they scrolling through data can we fit enough buttons how big do the buttons have to be um 
and because we're dealing with progressive web apps, the guidelines are a little bit loose and different. And so we want to make sure that they reflect kind of more appropriately the Apple guidelines in how things are laid out. And so it's it's easy to kind of get those laid out in screens. And then we don't do slices necessarily as much as exporting and saying this is what we should try as a matter of deployment uh, with regard to the screens. Because you're working in progressive web apps, it's fairly quick and easy to to generate different examples and, and take it down. So for me, it's more about uh, you know in a conversation with my developer to say this is how I think it's going to go, and then they try something and then they provide feedback, and then it just uh, it, get, it gets its own momentum from there. And it's a great way with dealing with the customer to be able to show them on an iPad here's screen one, here's screen two here's screen three, and be able to get that feedback and pull out the pencil and move things and drag things around in real time, and then be able to walk away from the meeting and your work is done and you can hand that bit off then back to the uh, developer. And as far as, so as far as the screens you're designing, is it a really tall screen to include all the scrolling that may be required for that app? No, so it would be exactly the approximation of like an iPhone 11. Okay. The intention is what can we fit on a screen and with the understanding that in some cases we may have content that may be three or four screens in length, but that will be a scrolling experience. But then we have to understand when they get to the bottom of that page, for lack of a better word, what's that interface that sits at the bottom. So it's understanding that balance and you know whether is there a critical element that we don't want to bury at the bottom that we have to embed at the top through some kind of hamburger menu mm-hmm. or some kind of interactions, uh, additional buttons that we need to lay out. So all the screens are set to, you know, we use iPhone 11 as, as kind of the default, but it's that kind of size that we're looking for. And the progressive web app can scale it a bit. So there's some testing, but this is kind of an approximation as to how the information would be displayed. Okay. And do the developers you're working with, do they have Affinity Designer on their Macs or is that, or Windows even, I believe it's there, or are you just sending off an export from that program? They don't use Affinity Designer. Uh, I do have it on my Mac as well. Just for the couple of projects we've been using this with, we haven't had the need. I'm not sure, to be honest, what we're going to do in the future. I do want to try getting back into Adobe XD, which I tried a while ago, but I understand there's much more power to it now. So I may give that a shot with regard to doing the the mock-ups because you can do kind of the demo experience through that. I really haven't played with it in some time. It's tough because, especially in the progressive web app, we can do things so quickly. It's not like working with Sketch where, you know, running the slices and everything was critical. Once you have the elements, just modifying those and changing those around, it's fairly easy for the developer to do. It's more at the outset when you're building the project from the beginning and understanding how everything is going to lay out that using something like Affinity Designer is really powerful. But we don't rely on it. Most of the time, my team are focused on kind of the code side, building the interface, but they can do so much with kind of a starting point than uh, me constantly doing, you know, version three, version four, version five. That happens more with websites where we're dealing with customers and they want a website of a certain you know, layout. And so I will save my team some time by kind of fishing that out and getting it down to kind of one or two versions. And then we start building it online and then the rest of it just happens online. And that initial meeting where you're discussing what this app should be, are you using good notes to do initial sketches during that meeting? Or is it purely gathering information about this project from the team and then you're going to go off to work and bring back your result to them? It's a combination. I mean, I use drafts everywhere to take notes. And then if I have a requirement to kind of jot down ideas, it is good notes that I use to kind of lay things out and understand and be able to bounce ideas and things we've done in the past off of the customer to understand, is this what you're looking for? Are you okay with this approach? You know, this will take a lot more effort, this will take less effort, and so on and so forth. So I use good notes a lot for that kind of layout stuff. I Because uh, then I can uh, just simply export it as a PDF and it serves as a reference in the project file. Okay. So Office 365 is something you use at your office. Um, <laughs> do, yeah. do you, and you get to use your iPad with the Office apps, and that's something you're using on a fairly regular basis? I use it a little bit. I don't use it a lot. I use OneNote a fair bit. So I mentioned I use drafts to capture meeting notes and that kind of stuff, because I usually have my Mac open, and I want to be able to take my notes elsewhere. So I, don't use, I haven't used paper in years. So I have my iPad off to the side if I need to take notes. I will use drafts on my Mac if I'm not presenting, but if I'm presenting, I have the iPad off to the side. And what I'll do is I'll store everything in, in drafts, and then I have an action that exports it to OneNote, and that's where I store all my corporate notes. I will use a OneDrive on the iPad to sign PDFs. I will use Word 
if I need to work on some ideas, I will. I tend to use Ulysses first, but I will use Word to kind of review documents. I tend to do more of that on the Mac, especially if there's comments in the mm-hmm. Word documents and things like that. I, I don't use it as much as as others, I think, would. There are a couple of things, like signing PDFs, it's important. Uh, OneDrive, uh, all of that is is quite good. I don't use PowerPoint, so I use uh, Keynote. We do make a fair bit of use of Office 365, but when it comes to the iPad, not a whole lot. Okay. And then with signing PDFs, I'd imagine that's a much better experience than uh, the alternative of using your mouse to sign. Yes. And OneDrive stores it. Your stores your signature, so you don't actually have to sign it every time. Okay. You can just say, oh, this is my signature. Just put it here and resize it, and off you go. It, it is a much better experience than, than trying to use a mouse or printing it out and signing it and then scanning it and sending it off. I just I hate receiving documents like that. So, um, yeah, it's the, the iPad's really good for that. And you also create a podcast, yes. uh, Drawing Inspiration. And what's your workflow for creating that show? Everything from capturing the audio to releasing the episode. So I capture all the audio through, I have a Zoom H6. And so what happens is I usually have guests on uh, using Skype and I will capture my channel and their channel as separate tracks on the Zoom H6. I will usually ask them to record from their end as well as a separate track just so I can have a nice clean version of it. Once the podcast is complete, I will take those files, move them up into Dropbox. I will then open up Ferrite on my iPad and import those audio files. And I do the whole edit of the show on the iPad. And I have an intro and outro that are saved in the Ferrite library. And so I go through, edit the whole podcast. As of my last podcast, I've actually started including chapters uh, and hidden chapters to deal with show artwork. That's been really great. So once I'm done the podcast, I'll export it to Dropbox. Now, what I've done in the past is if I've actually uploaded it to Auphonic, which is an online, well, I think there's an app as well, but I use the online service to kind of level everything out. The last podcast, I didn't do that. They don't support hidden chapters. So I thought I would give this a try and it sounds pretty good. So I think I may stop using Auphonic, and which means I put it into Dropbox as a final piece. I ups, upload it to Libsyn, which is the host I use. And then I do the artwork for the show in Affinity Designer. I use WordPress to manage the site. So I go in, I put, I copy and paste the show notes from Ulysses. I bring in the artwork and then I embed the, uh, the code from Libsyn. And so I do all of that on the iPad. And then I just time it for release on every second Monday. I've done 21 episodes now with it. And uh, it's great. I mean, being able to edit with the pencil is just brilliant. I use the pencil to do my selections. And then I have a keyboard shortcut command... Uh, tilde, which is my ripple delete. And so that's the one I use the most. And so I will go through, select my audio, do a ripple delete, and uh, off we go. That's interesting about the uh, the pencil. I know the pen- Apple Pencil 2, you're able to have that second command with the double tap if you need it. Yeah, and that's what I've used to kind of switch between. If I need to move tracks around, then you switch to fingers mode, and then you can do more stuff with your fingers. But getting Ferrite kind of set up to the way you want to use it take, does take a little bit of time. I love it. I, I'm, you know, editing a podcast, I want to be able to do everything on the iPad. So I didn't have to do this. I could do it on my iMac at home, but I really wanted to do everything on the iPad. So when I started this podcast, it was like, I'm committing to this for a year and I'm going to do it all on the iPad. Now, unfortunately, I can't do the recording there, but I can do everything else. And I don't know, I, I saw Jason Snell posted a, a video of how he does it, which is not using the keyboard at all. And uh, so it was just interesting to see somebody else using it because you don't see a lot if you go to YouTube and search for Ferrite, there's not a lot of people that have posted their experiences or how they do it. Yeah, I probably should do like a quick five-minute video. Here's how I have my keyboard set up and let me edit for a couple minutes to show my process of editing. And that would be kind of something kind of interesting, I think. Because most people do, I think, use the pencil a lot more than I do. Uh, I'll only use the pencil if I need to move a big batch of audio to like a post-show because it's not relevant to the main conversation. Do you run a strip silence on your clips? Yeah. So my first step is strip silence for both the tracks, and then I tighten everything up, and then I go from there to do the rest of the edits. And sometimes I'll need a length in one of the strip silences out a little bit, but most of the time it gets it pretty perfect. You know, to be honest, up until the last episode, I've never done strip silence. I'd rather just go in and manually remove it. And then I did it, and I don't think I had my... I think I had my settings off because it was stripping silence when there wasn't. I set it almost to as low as it'll go to get it 
up just perfect. Because I used Jason Snell settings, but I think because I had a weak uh, track, even though I boosted it using the, uh, the the compressor, it I think it was just it wasn't seeing any uh, audio happening there. So yeah, mine is very low with uh, the settings for how I have that configured. So Luma Fusion is something that you also do a little bit with or what's your experience with that i've got a couple of projects coming up that i'm working on with LumaFusion. i've used LumaFusion a fair bit in the past with app demo videos where i've done some work in adobe after effects and then i bring it in for the final edit and the audio mix in LumaFusion. so i actually go from the mac back to the ipad and i've obviously done a lot of family videos because LumaFusion is just it is incredible the difference in price between LumaFusion and uh, Final Cut Pro is there's a 10 times difference, but it is really on par with Final Cut Pro. Yeah, it's impressive. I've done a lot of work. I've got a, a bunch of audio that I've purchased. I did try the uh, the story blocks, which is an opportunity for you to kind of subscribe monthly and have opportunity to get all these different kind of audio tracks and things like that, which are great. But uh, I've went and purchased audio myself because that is so key for good video is good audio. What I also have is I, I use a Samsung T5 SSD drive, USB-C, obviously, for, and that's where I store all the video. Rather than, uh, even though the Files app integration is really good, I prefer to have everything sitting on an SSD. And it's so funny because people talk about how powerful the iPad is. And I haven't found any app, including LumaFusion, that chokes on anything. It's incredible. Yeah, with storage, it's amazing that you can fill these iPads up. I have a 512 gigabyte iPad and I was trying to export my podcast video for tomorrow. And I noticed I've got two gigabytes left. Then I look oh, at wow. what's taking up all the space. Evidently, Affinity Designer has 200 plus gigabytes of designs in there. I don't know how it's that large because I don't do that much work in there. Yeah, I store my designer stuff in iCloud. I, I was just commenting to somebody, somebody was asking me about what they should buy because uh, I've turned on a probably three or four artists onto an iPad. They've actually gone out and purchased them. And people ask me about the size. And I'm like, you don't need 512. Uh, that's what I have. And I still have, I think, 250 gigs left. And I've got video and a whack of Procreate files and things like that. But um, it's amazing the app that's, you know, there's an app somewhere, in your case, designer, <laughs> affinity designer, that's using up a whack of <laughs> space, right? Well, Ferrite's got another 200 gigs and uh, LumaFusion's got 50. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it goes quick. Uh, my next iPad will be the terabyte model or two terabyte if that's what's... Yeah, I suspect that's coming soon, a two terabyte version. Something you also mentioned to me before the show is Ulysses and novel writing. What's this project you're working on and why Ulysses over Scrivener or other tools that are out there? I did NaNoWriMo two years ago, which is National Novel Writing Month. So the intent is you write 50,000 words in the month of November. So I started a novel. I'm about 65,000 words into it. At the time, I was I had the 10.5, and I wrote the whole thing in Ulysses. At the time, Scrivener wasn't robust. I did have the desktop version. The reason I went to Ulysses is because all I wanted was a writing app. I, I didn't want anything to get in my way. I mean, you heard me talk about Procreate. I just want stuff out of my way. If I'm in to draw, I want to draw. If I'm in to write, I want to write. Ulysses allows me to do that. I have used Scrivener because the ability to store research information is really powerful within Scrivener. But I just found that, you know, you'd, you'd spin it up and it would sync and I just, it wasn't working for me. So I use Ulysses. I set up a separate a sheet for each, basically what ends up being a chapter, and then I tag my characters in that. That way I can create a filtered list to be able to say, okay, I'm looking for this character, what chapters are they in, and it can show me those. And uh, it tracks the number of words you've typed as well, if you've written. For me, it just gets out of my way, and I can just sit and write. And the only thing I see on my screen is Ulysses. If I need to pull up Safari in a, in a window to the side because I'm doing research, I can do that. I mean, I can embed some additional meta information with the sheets, but for me, Ulysses has always been the app I use to write, whether it's the podcast or this novel. I've started another short story and, and then another novel as well, and it's all in Ulysses. And what's your process? Do you do much brainstorming with uh, mind maps or outlines? Or I actually use iThoughtsX on the iPad. I've used other mind mapping tools. But I found that one to be just the one that works for me. I do a little bit of mind mapping within that to kind of ba get basic concepts. But there's a an author that I've followed. Called, her name is Rachel Steven, and she has something called the Plot Embryo, which is kind of leveraging the hero's journey, which is a way to kind of construct a story in a way that's entertaining and accurate and, and provides that kind of idea of a person changing over throughout a story. Her plot embryo is a really good kind of structure. And so what I did is I have her plot embryo in GoodNotes, 
And then I simply use, and it's a blank kind of piece. It looks like a big circle split into quadrants. And then I just simply take the Apple Pencil and I write my notes in there. And I, you know, I have one for the protagonist and the antagonist. And I simply just jot my notes in this PDF file in GoodNotes. And then I use that as kind of my structure when I start working in the uh, the sheets in Ulysses. Okay. It's been great. I mean, I haven't worked on the novel in a few months. And as I say, I'm about 65,000 words, I think, into it. I have more to go, but I'm not sure anyone will see this. <laughs> I, <laughs> this is not going up on the uh, Apple uh, bookstore anytime soon? I don't think so. I, I wrote it, to be honest, I wrote it more. It's it's almost autobiographical, but I wrote it kind of for my daughters. Yeah. I have two daughters. I want them to succeed in life. I want them to have opportunities. Life presents a bunch of challenges for you, and especially women in science and women in tech. And so the story is kind of around that, but it's also somewhat autobiographical. There's some heartache that happens through it, and you know, life can be pretty awful sometimes, but it can turn around and great things can happen. And so I wanted it for them. If the only people that ever read it is them, then that will be a successful journey. My next story, I think I may end up publishing at some point. When you do finish it, do you see yourself using Ulysses to do that final export to make it a finished, readable thing for your daughters? Or I think so. I don't think I would... I would try to find a way to do it all on the iPad. I want to do more writing on the iPad, so I want to make sure that I can figure out a workflow that allows me to bring what I've written to a point where I can share it. I mean, I can share this easily with them as a PDF because you can customize that export. I want to be able to, when I look at my next novel and figuring out a way that I can transition this from Ulysses to being able to publish it. And so I really haven't explored that a whole lot. I would like to find a way. And I think by the time I get to that point, you know, we'll be at iOS 14 or iOS 15 or iPad OS, I should say, yeah. 14 or 15. And I think the capabilities will probably be uh, much better at that point with regard to hardware and software. Absolutely. So is there anything we didn't cover about the iPad that you'd like to before we wrap it up? My only suggestion would be with like more from an art perspective, like if you've got an iPad and a pencil, try drawing. If you don't want to do it, that's fine, but maybe there's somebody around you who does. And so maybe your partner, your child, a colleague at work may not have access to this. And by allowing them to use the iPad and the pencil, you may be creating the opportunity for an outlet for this person that they would have never thought or explored before. And it may lead to something fantastic, something great. So I would say allow someone else to try things out and explore their own creativity. Don't stop. If you're drawing, if you're an artist, don't stop using a pencil and paper. They work in conjunction and I think it all makes you uh, a better artist and a better creative. And I, I think we always have to kind of push and try with the iPad. There's so many great apps coming out. The developers are doing some fantastic work. And I think that what may not have worked three months ago, six months ago, a year ago, you need to constantly try it again to see the evolution of not just the apps, but new apps coming out. Think about the iPad when you're trying to solve problems. Yeah, well said. Well, with that, uh, where can people find your excellent podcast and your drawings and you online? Right. My personal site is MikeHenley.com. I also post all my works in progress and all my final art on my Instagram, which is Mike underscore Henley is my Instagram account. The podcast is at drawinginspiration.fm. It's also available in all the usual places, Apple Podcasts and Google and everywhere else. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been great chatting with you and learning more about drawing on the iPad. It's something that I dabble in as I travel, especially stuck at airports. That's something that entertains me for hours on end. Well, thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure and I uh, really enjoyed talking to you. Good questions. Thank you. Well, that was my interview I did with Mike. I hope you enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Thanks again to Mike for his time. Once again, check him out on Instagram and his Drawing Inspiration podcast. As a reminder, one of the best ways to support this podcast is heading over to Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. It'll only take you just about a minute. If you could do that, that would be greatly, greatly appreciated. And you can also support the podcast at the Patreon at patreon.com slash iPad Pros starting as low as a dollar a month. So any support there is greatly appreciated. If you get benefit out of this podcast, I'd really appreciate support from either a review or the Patreon. Thanks again to those that have left a review or have supported me on Patreon or our current subscribers on Patreon. With that, I'll talk to everyone again real soon.